Let me read God's word to you as we meditate and reflect on it. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. Time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. What is has already been, and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. It will happen for one second only. The hour will be 4 a.m. The minute will be five minutes. The second, six seconds. It will take place on the seventh day of the eighth month, August, in this year, 2009. I guess you're going to have to set your alarm clocks for this. Get yourselves up at 4 a.m. so that you're just ready for five minutes past and six seconds on the 7th of August this year. Because at that rare moment, if you're staring at your alarm clock, you will read this very unusual sequence of numbers. 04, 05, 06, 07, 08, 09. That uh, run of numbers doesn't come around very often. I don't know whether time is something which intrigues you. I don't know whether a particular uh, strange sequence in time intrigues you. 
I do know that this particular moment in time uh, not only interests some people, but I was reading in an American uh, newspaper online uh, some person saying that this was a particularly momentous moment in time. There was a numerologist uh, quoted to say that this day might be a good day to make money and to be happy. Uh, The Christian, of course, is not, however, seduced by such thinking. Uh, The Christian does not believe that any particular moment in time is so sacred. The Christian believes much more than that. We believe that all our moments in time are sacred. We believe in a God who is the maker of time, in a God who has placed us in time, and therefore in a God who has called us to be stewards of time. The Christian worldview says that all our moments matter, and that as these moments have been gifted as from God, they should therefore be offered up to God. Francis Ridley Havergal, in her hymn, Take My Life, understood this. Take my moments and my days, she said. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my moments. Now, the question this evening that we want to address is, how do we do that? How do we give God our moments, our minutes, our seconds, our hours, our lives? One answer is found in a book in the New Testament, and I would like you to turn to it with me. It is in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. We're reading this evening in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to study just two verses tonight the 15th and 16th verses of Ephesians 5. Here, Paul talks time. Very interesting what he says. Let's read it together, beginning at verse 15. Be very careful, then, how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Amen. That was our very brief reading, yet it is God's Word. Now, sometimes when we come to a passage of Scripture— Uh, One of the helpful things to say initially is what a passage is not. This passage of Scripture, these verses, are not a philosophical discussion of time. They are not answering, or indeed asking, one of the most profound questions that there is to ask. What is time? It's the kind of thing that sounds simple until you try to answer it. We know it by experience. We know that time is that uh, sequence of seconds, that it is that uh, escalator, as it were, 
that propels us endlessly forward, and yet we can never go back. And yet, as to what time is in its essence, well, it's something of a mystery. These verses are therefore not an explanation of time, which would probably blow our minds. They are an exhortation about using our time. Uh, Lee Smolin, who is a leading physicist, says this about time. I have been studying the question of what time is for much of my adult life, but I must admit that I am no closer to an answer now than I was then. And so if the experts cannot discern the significance of time, I'm glad that Paul isn't trying to explore that this evening. But you know, you do not need to fully understand the physics of something to practically use it. I was just thinking this week about the microwave in my kitchen. A microwave. Uh, It really is the very essence of my cooking capabilities. And I can tell you, I do not have the foggiest idea of how the microwave cooks my food. Nonetheless, I put the food in, I press the buttons, and hey presto. You see, I don't need to understand the physics of it to practically use it. And in these verses, the Apostle Paul, though he doesn't unpack the mystery of time, he does say that we all use time and we all are able to utilize it. And what he gives us is uh, really a very practical treatment in just two verses on this topic of time. So I want to really try and unpack what Paul is saying and just uh, tease it out into three strands this evening. The first thing that Paul discusses is the aim of living wise in verse 15, which is the context of the way that we use time. Secondly, he moves on to the art of buying time. And you'll see why I use that expression, buying, particularly this evening in a moment. And then number three, Paul goes a step further and he looks around us into the culture and into the time in which we live. And he talks about the awareness of evil days. So let's look at these three time topics. And I do trust you have your Bible open and that you're ready to examine it carefully. First of all, the aim of living wise. The aim of living wise. Now, now you say, what what does uh, this have to do with time? What does living wise have to do with the way that I order my diary and schedule? The answer is absolutely everything. You see, this verse, verse 16, is set within the context of verse 15. Verse 16 is about time. Verse 15 is the context of the discussion about time. And in verse 15, we see what Paul's general concern is, out of which the specific issue of time arises. You notice as you look to that verse, verse 15, that Paul is concerned about how you live. Literally, how you walk. Walking was a metaphor in Paul's day for living. The way you walk is the way you live. The way you live is the way you walk through life. And Paul, in this letter, is very concerned to 
talk to these Christians in Ephesus, not only about the things that they believe, but about the way they behave. Not just that they can talk the talk, but that they can walk the walk. For example, if you went back to chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul uses almost the same language. He says there, to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. To walk in such a way that is worthy of the calling of the gospel. In chapter 4, verse 17, he then says something in contrast. He says there that they should no longer live or walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. In chapter 5, verse 2, Paul continues this theme and he says, live a life of love. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. And now again, in verse 15 of chapter 5, Paul returns to this issue of how they live, of the way they walk through their everyday lives. You know, for a number of years, as a young Christian, I thought that God was only really concerned with what I believed and not that concerned with the way that I lived. It was convenient to think that. It was also wrong to believe that. In fact, just look at how much it matters. If you doubt this, the way that you live. At the outset of verse 15, Paul says, notice how he prefaces it, be very careful then how you live. Take exceeding care might be a paraphrase. It means to to watch your steps closely. If you were here this morning, Peter gave us this uh, great illustration that covered the, the two ends of the sermon, and he was discussing how uh, one time, many years ago, he, he climbed, he, he walked up this, this, uh, this mountain, this hill. And some of you are into hill walking, I know. And there are maybe parts on the slope where it's not too steep, it's not too bad underfoot, and, and you know, you can look around and enjoy the view, and you can chat to those around you. But there are other times, and Peter was describing this when he was climbing up a very steep slope. I don't imagine when you've got jaggy rocks under your feet, when you've got maybe a steep fall right beside you, I don't imagine that you're looking around you. No, in such a situation, you have your eyes down, you're watching where you're walking. And Paul is saying here that the Christian must watch very carefully the way that they walk. Every step, every stride, every foot must be placed carefully. Our walk with Christ must be done with exceeding care. And it should also be done with wisdom. Because Paul goes on to say, also in that verse, verse 15, not being unwise, but by being wise. See, as we're looking down to the way that we walk... What we have to be careful about is that we are walking in the way of wisdom. That we're walking in the way of wisdom, which is God's way. Which is the way that God's word sets out. Which is in contrast to the godless ways and thinking of the world. Paul says, be careful that you are walking in wisdom. If you are a Christian this evening, then you have received the gospel of wisdom. It is that message which makes you wise unto salvation. 
But just as you have received the message of wisdom, be sure that you live with wisdom. That's what Paul is saying here. You see, it's a terrible possibility that a Christian can be made wise by the gospel, yet can be living like a fool. They can be very careless about the way they live. They can believe the right stuff and yet not be walking the right way. Can I ask you this evening, if you are a Christian, are you walking in wisdom? Are you careful about where you're placing your steps to make sure that every step is a step that would please the Lord? Would others maybe look to your life and say, you know, they're actually not very careful about the way they live. They're actually quite a careless Christian in terms of the way that they live. Or would, and I hope this would be the opinion, would others look to you and say, there's a wise guy, in, in the good sense of that. There's a wise guy. There, there's a wise gal there. They walk in wisdom. They don't just say the right things on a Sunday. They walk in wisdom. Now, again, what does all of this have to do with time, Paul? Simply this. If you're not managing your life with wisdom, there is no way you will manage your time with wisdom. In fact, it actually could turn out to be a bad thing, this sermon. Because if you came out of this sermon this evening, maybe with a a better ability in time management, if you're not walking in wisdom, then you might just use the extra time to sin or to walk in the ways of folly. The way we use our time is really a subset of the way that we live. If, show me a man who is aiming to live a life of wisdom, and I'll show you a man or a woman who is probably redeeming their time. So this is a bit of a challenge this evening. Are you someone who is growing in practical wisdom as a Christian? Are you applying the sermons that you're hearing every Sunday here from this pulpit? The psalmist Moses in Psalm 90 makes this connection between wisdom and time. And he says there, you know, if you're a wise person, you're going to be the kind of person who uses your time well, who understands the nature of time. Very famously, he said in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days aright, that's the time, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There's an inextricable connection between time and wisdom. Maybe you're here tonight and you're lacking uh, wisdom. Let me say two simple exhortations to you. Number one, pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. As you go from this sermon tonight, be thinking about how you can apply what you've heard. Really go hard after things you could do in response to this. Don't just let the time pass. Aim for wisdom. And then secondly, ask for wisdom. Because James chapter 1 tells us that if any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask God and he will generously provide us with the practical way to live like Christ. Now it's within that context and only within it that we now come to the second heading. The art of buying time. The art of buying time. 
Look at how Paul continues uh, this time in verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity. I want you to live a life of wisdom, says Paul. I want you to be careful uh, about the way that you walk. And, And you know, one facet of that, says Paul, is that you'll be the kind of person who will make the most of every opportunity. Some of you, maybe this evening, will have the the King James Version. And it is perhaps the most famous rendering of this verse. Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Making the most of of every opportunity. To redeem uh, meant in Paul's day to buy something up. Or to buy something back. Paul here says something quite strange. He He says, buy up the time. Now, one of the things we must understand here is the word that Paul uses for time. There were two Greek words that were used. The first word was commonly used, maybe more often, chronos. Chronos, the word from which we get chronology. And chronos was simply the ordinary passing of of, uh, minutes and seconds. But there was another word that, that Paul uses here. And that word for time was the word Kairos. And Kairos carries the idea of a really significant moment. You remember prior to to Jesus' death? That occasion when he was with his disciples and uh, the soldiers and the conspirators were coming for him to take him away. And he said to his disciples, you remember, the time has come. And the word Jesus used there wasn't chronos. He said the time, the kairos, the significant moment had come. Jesus wasn't saying, you know, it's five past four, the time's come. He was saying the significant moment, the opportune time for my sacrifice is here. And Paul, he's using this word. He's using this word that means to redeem significant opportunities. Significant moments. Make the most, says Paul, of every kairos moment. Now, what kind of opportunities and moments might Paul be talking about? What what opportunities should we buy? I want you maybe to imagine uh, this evening, and some of you can imagine this easier than others, uh, going into one of these vast superstore complexes, like maybe the Metro Center in Newcastle. There are literally hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of shops. Uh, And even within the scope of a day, you're so limited in terms of what you can see and in terms of what you can purchase. And Paul is saying here that, you know, we spend our time, and, and just imagine it in this way, every day we go into a superstore. And there are only so many ways that we can spend our time. There are only so many opportunities. And, you know, some of the things are bargains. Some of the things are great purchases. Oh, and then there's other places where we can utterly waste our time. Paul says here, we are to buy up the best opportunities. We're to buy up the best ways to to use our time. And you know, the great thing is that, that, that there are so many good things, good ways to spend our time according to Scripture opportunity for one thing to open the Bible and read it. 
I need to tell you this evening that the fact that you are here shows that you're making the most of an opportunity, a great opportunity to hear God's Word, to hear God speak. There's other opportunities, isn't there, that crop up in the day. Maybe it's a time when when we have the chance to say something about Jesus to someone who doesn't know Jesus. And if we don't say something in that moment, the moment is gone. It's like a purchase that we've we've missed. There's those opportune times to to maybe answer a question that, that your child suddenly comes up with, you know, about eternal things. And if you don't snap it up, you've missed the opportunity. It's maybe an opportune moment to to show care and concern to somebody, to lift the phone or to to write a note, which takes time, doesn't it, to do that, to make that visit. You know, sometimes it's, it's a good opportunity in a moment you don't expect. I think Christians should be especially good in being ready for those waiting moments. I know that many of you will spend too many hours standing queuing at the bus stop or waiting in line somewhere or sitting around in the airport. I know of a guy who who listens through to the whole of the Bible a couple of times every year in his car. That's, That's making the most of every opportunity. Another practice I would commend to you is to take a good book with you wherever you go. Uh, I probably read about half of the books that I read, you know, standing in queues or in all sorts of strange places. Nikki says, why are you pulling a book out your back pocket in the supermarket? You know, don't be as extreme as that. But have books around in the cars and things like that. There are so many great purchases to be made in God's superstore every day. And then, of course, as we take that to its logical conclusion, there are also many bad purchases you can make as well. You know, there are no lack of bad ways to spend your time and lose the time. And there are also, in in our age particularly, many trivial ways to fritter away our time. I, I opened up the Metro newspaper on Friday Uh, on the bus when I should have been maybe reading a book which would have been more beneficial and the the whole of the second page it had this uh, spread about the latest craze on Facebook and uh, the, 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 the title read Extreme Lying Down have you heard of Extreme Lying Down? okay it's uh, people just lying. It's stupid. It's really stupid, really. People lying flat on their faces and getting photographed. And, you know, people send in, they put pictures up on the internet of them, you know, lying in bizarre places like inside a, a jet engine. And I don't know, probably someone somewhere finds this funny, but doesn't it say something about our culture that as you open the second page of a national newspaper, there's this trivia... I mean, is there nothing more substantial to talk about on page two of the newspaper than extreme lying down? You know, many, many young people spend hours on YouTube, hours on YouTube. You know, they get into discussions about YouTube and they can talk for hours about the hours and hours that they've watched. Is that a good use of time? 
Don't be that 25-year-old who's done nothing with their life than complete, you know, X levels on the PlayStation. And it's not just for young people, of course. It's also for, for, for all of us. I mean, how many of us waste too much discretionary time watching the box in the corner of the room? I mean, there's good stuff on there to watch. It's not always bad to be watching it, but we really shouldn't be always watching it. I can think of a, a, a chap who puts a sticker on his television and the sticker reads, Redeeming the Time. So every time he goes to press that button, he has to think about that. Am I spending this time wisely? Oh, and then there's some of you, and uh, it's not that you're young and you've got lots of time. It's that you're a little bit, you know, older and you've got the time. You're in those uh, recently retired years. And you've got all the discretionary time that you had when you were a student and more. What are you doing with the time? Are you spending it all in the garden? What's that going to mean for eternity? So this is the first thing we we have uh, to look at is, are we frittering away our time? We we need to use it on the best opportunities, on the wise opportunities. And also, in regard to this too, we must be spending our time on God-given responsibilities as well. I mean, I don't think the idea is that each of us have to go out and roam the streets of Edinburgh just looking around to see if there's any opportune ways to spend our time. No, Paul throughout this letter has already been instructing the Ephesians about how to use their time. And what we discover is that it should largely relate to our responsibilities. So, for example, Paul goes on in a verse or two to address husbands and wives. And he tells them one way they should use their time. He says, husbands, you should be spending some of your time loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, you should be submitting to your husbands as to the Lord. He goes on and he talks about parents in chapter 6. He talks about children there. He says, your time has to be spent in part obeying your parents. He goes on uh, in verses 5 to 7 of chapter 6. And he talks about the responsibilities of slaves to their masters. And he says to them, the way you should spend your time is by serving them wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. And so with that responsibility, presumably a slave should be looking around, not just for any opportunity, but for opportunities to serve their master wholeheartedly. In other words, our opportunities in time will normally arrive within the context of our everyday responsibilities, like being a parent, like being an employee, like being a church member. We should set about spending time on the opportunities within these contexts. You know, if you're genuinely struggling to fill your time this evening, you should ask this question. What are my responsibilities and to whom? Is there a parent I need to phone? Is there a child I need to look after a bit more carefully? Is there someone in my fellowship group or in my pastoral group that I could spend time visiting because I've got a responsibility for them? Ask, what are my responsibilities? And then plan your time accordingly. 
You see, if we don't, what will happen is we will miss the significant opportunities. It'll be like going through the shop and there's a great bargain in the window and we walk right past it. Nikki and I, we have this terrible habit of uh, delaying purchases. And this happened to us just recently. We were wanting to buy a piece of furniture. And we weren't kind of planning to buy it on that day, but there was a sale on. And we said, let's just think about it overnight. We went back the next day and it was gone and the sale was over. And how often that can happen. You know, if we don't take those opportunities that we should take, then maybe it will be the last opportunity to speak to that person about Jesus. Maybe it will be the last opportunity to visit that sick person. Maybe it will be the last opportunity to spend that significant time with your spouse, with your friends, or whomever. In 1735, at just 19 years of age, Jonathan Edwards wrote as one of his 70 resolutions, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. May that be our resolve. Now, there are many reasons why it's important to have this resolve to make the most of our time. Paul's already mentioned, one, that it's part of living wisely. Uh, You won't be much of a wise Christian if you're not wisely spending your time. But notice as Paul goes on uh, to the end of verse 16, he adds another more sober reason why we need to redeem the time as Christians. And he says the reason we must buy up the time, look at the last phrase, verse 16, is because the days are evil. So we've had firstly the aim of living wise, secondly the art of buying time, but thirdly the awareness of evil days. See, as we're trying to use our time carefully, as we're trying to walk in wisdom and spend our time in a wise way, the difficulty is that the days in which we live are evil days. It's pretty plain what Paul is saying by that, isn't it? He's saying that we we live in evil times. Now, that word evil is seldom used in our culture, and many people would perhaps think Paul extreme for using it. But this is the word used to characterize human behavior. As we turn away from God in defiance, the Bible calls us those who are not good, but evil. And indeed, as we uh, look around the rest of the New Testament, we find Paul talking quite a bit about the evil days that we live in. One of the expressions he uses, almost an identical idea, is the last days. The last days that Paul speaks of are those days between the first coming of Jesus when he lived and died on a cross and rose from the grave and then that other time which is yet to come for us when Jesus will return. The period in between that is called the last days in the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul frequently spoke of these last days in terms of their evil character. For example, he said this over in uh, 2 Timothy 3, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, 
disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's how Paul describes the times in which we live. And I'll tell you, I think Paul is 100% accurate in his assessment. Yes, there are good things that people do from time to time. But insofar as our society has turned so much away from God, has really shook its face, its fist in the face of God, we do live in evil times. Paul could have been giving a description of what we read in the newspaper on a daily basis. We live in these evil days, and therefore, the way that we spend our time is a challenge. Therefore, because there's so much evil going around, we need to make good use of our time. Therefore, we must make the most of every opportunity. Evil days are not easy days to do good things. So when you get the opportunity, says Paul, you better grasp them. In evil days, it's easier to go along with the the evil crowd. And it's much more difficult to live a life of wisdom that pleases God. It's much harder to spend your time wisely rather than all the filth that everyone else is spending their time on. You know, maybe you're here this evening. Maybe you're here tonight and you very much are part of that world. You're very much part of that that world of, of defiance against God. At least personally, you have given God little consideration in your life. You're living for yourself. You're living for your own pleasures. You're not living for the maker who created you. And in that case, this evening, I want to say to you that you need a savior from that situation. You need someone to rescue you from the evil age, as Paul calls it. You need someone who can make a way to forgive your wickedness, to save you from the darkness, and to bring you into the light. I mean, be honest tonight. Maybe you can look back on the way that you've spent these years on earth, and you can see many times and many occasions which you wish could be expulsed, expunged from history. And yet we cannot roll back the clock, can we? Our sins are indelibly marked in the history of time. And even more importantly, they are recorded in God's book of judgment. And yet the wonderful news of the Bible is that our God, who is an infinitely good and holy God, that this God has made a way to expunge your evil record, to to save you from this evil age. And you know, it's such a mystery the way that God did this. Because as we've been singing in our songs, the God that, that, that wanted to rescue us is an eternal God. How was God going to deal with the sin of human history? How was he going to deal with the evil days that we live in? And the astounding answer is that the eternal Son of God, who had for all eternity been in that timeless condition, stepped into time. I mean, 
Did it not stagger you when we sang some of the words of that song, Astounding Grace? That's why we, we picked it this evening. Because it speaks of how the eternal Son of God entered time. Astounding grace that God the Son should choose to leave the Father's glory and refuse, to clutch his dignity, exploit his right, and make himself a no one in our sight. The Word made flesh, the Son of God, a man, the timeless one, clothed in a mortal span, now born of dust and in a manger laid, transcendent God, in human likeness made. But that is not all Jesus did, as amazing as that was. The Bible says too, not only did the eternal God come into human time and history, but that he then went to a cross where he willingly died for our sins, died for the evil that we have done. We've been talking this evening about redeeming the time. I want to tell you a wonderful thing this evening. Jesus came into the world to redeem you from your sins. We've been talking about buying up minutes. Jesus came into the world buying up sinners. He bought them up so that he might bring them back into a relationship with God. That song, Astounding Grace, it continues like this. Astounding Grace that we should enter in. He tore the veil and cast away our sin. He saw our hate, our dark and desperate lust, but he didn't just leave us that way. He bore our guilt and then declared us just. Astounding grace that Christ should suffer death and know firsthand the grave's corrupting breath, the Prince of life, creation's gracious Lord. He paid the price that we could not afford. Dear unbelieving friend, do you realize all that the eternal God has done for you in sending his eternal son to redeem you from this evil age? If you are realizing that for the first time this evening, don't procrastinate. Don't leave it till tomorrow. Don't leave it till next Sunday. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Tonight is the moment to respond to God's grace. I trust and I pray that that will be the case maybe for one of you here tonight. Well, we began the sermon uh, with a reference to a particular time in the calendar. And I don't know, I think I'll be snoozing through it to be honest. Uh, but some of you might be up to experience that moment. 4, uh, 05, 06, on the seventh day of the eighth month, August 2009. Much more important this evening is that we realize that all our time is sacred. If you are a Christian, at all times, you should be aiming to live a life of wisdom. If you're a Christian, at all times, you should be shopping wisely for time. In fact, ladies, there's a wonderful book that you can purchase online called Shopping for Time, and it's particularly good for the ladies. My wife tells me that. If you're a Christian, at all times, you need to recognize that the days in which you live are evil, and therefore, you must make the most of every opportunity. I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it. But it's up to me to use it 
to give account if I abuse it just a tiny minute, but eternity is in it. And the time of this sermon is over, but the time of our lives continues on and the clock is ticking down. And the question is, are we redeeming the time or simply wasting it? Let's pray.